Welcome to the final episode of the Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast, first aired Saturdays, 9 a.m. on Colorado Public Radio's Classical Service. I'm Monica Vischer. We have been exploring the life of one of history's greatest figures through the lens of his nine symphonies. From Beethoven's auspicious start with his first symphony in 1800, through the French Revolution, to the legend who deeply inspires us today. Last time we examined Beethoven's Eighth Symphony of 1812. Today we finish our series with his last symphony, started a decade later and premiered in 1824. The Ninth was a monumental achievement that set what seemed an unreachable bar for many composers who followed him. Beethoven biographer Jan Swafford joins me one more time. Hello, Jan. I'm back and good to be back. Beethoven, once again, with the Ninth, created something absolutely unique. He was not into repeating himself. Do you think he conceived this work as some kind of grand experiment? I don't know if he would have used the word experiment, but it was certainly a grand expansion of even his own model of what a symphony was in terms of length and weight. And it was also a return to the kind of social and spiritual concerns of the Third and Fifth Symphonies, which he hadn't been dealing with so much in the symphonies for a while. Twelve years passed between the Eighth and the Ninth Symphony. This was the same amount of time it took for Beethoven to write those first eight symphonies. What was he doing? What took him so long? Some of it was just illness and deafness. He was getting sicker and deafer. Then he insisted on, he became obsessed with, um, after his brother Carl died, of adopting his son, also named Carl, to which Carl's mother resisted vociferously and through years of court battles, and this preoccupied him for years. I think he was unsure for the first time in his life, maybe, of his direction. So he was sick and searching and writing court documents and talking to lawyers. I think all of it conspired to make this period kind of fallow, especially in symphonies and big pieces. Mm. Did Beethoven intend his ninth as another darkness to triumph symphony like his fifth? Similar to the fifth, yes, from darkness, or the word Beethoven used for the first movement in a sketch, is despair. Jan, let's focus on this first movement of Beethoven's Ninth. You write that it depicts, quote, the destruction and burial of the heroic ideal once and for all. The hero brings despair and death. Talk to me a little bit more about this. Remember when we were talking about the Third Symphony, it was really an exaltation of the hero, specifically Napoleon. Beethoven had given up that ideal. Napoleon had collapsed. The age of heroes was over. It was an age of terrific reaction and repression, especially in Vienna. Uh, You could get arrested for speaking the word freedom in Vienna in this period. So Beethoven abandoned the heroic ideal, and the music, I think, depicts that in several ways. The style is the heroic style, 
but it's terrifically unsettled and uh, searching and not finding. And it ends with this kind of eerie chromatic moan in the basses on top of which appears a funeral march. Now, Beethoven had written two funeral marches before, one in the Eroica second movement and another one in an early piano sonata, and they were both about the death of a hero. Well, now he's burying a hero for the third time, but it's a hero who has, no longer brings triumph, but who brings destruction and despair. Okay, Jan, let's further explore Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Let's move on to the next movement. The second movement is a scherzo in the sense that Beethoven had been using it for years. It's a genre that Haydn really invented, a very fast, driving, three-beat movement. But it's a kind of super scherzo. It's, it's in D minor, which is not really demonic. Maybe it's kind of faux-demonic, I think. It's really a, <laughs> an enormously energetic piece. But the... Scherzo proper, the beginning is very driving and extremely contrapuntal and is constantly interrupted by a timpani, which really surprised people at the time. They even applauded it because it was such an unexpected thing. The timpani sort of tends to interrupt the music periodically with these big octaves. Yum-ba-dum. The late music, what I call in the book the poetic period, is what happened after this fallow period in the teens. And he made things more intense, more simple, and more singing, like the third movement of the Ninth Symphony. And this movement is very slow, lazy variations on two alternating themes. There's an uncanny sense of timelessness about this music. about the premiere of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Remember that orchestras in these days were made up partly of amateur musicians. They couldn't begin to cope with this music, and the choral music is terrifically hard, and the solo music is terrifically hard, and the soprano was rebelling, and all those things together meant that the performance was an absolute scramble, and the piece was incomprehensible in the terms of the time. Um, But they applauded like crazy, why? They were, I think, applauding for the man and not the music. They knew he was getting old. They knew he was sick. And they wanted to give him a huge ovation, which they did. And the kind of sad thing is the story that he couldn't hear it. And the soprano had to turn him around so he could see. It's as if they were going out of their minds trying to make him hear the cheers, but he couldn't. Let's talk about this remarkable finale of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. First of all, 
Why was it so earth-shaking when he included a choir? They sing the words to Friedrich Schiller's popular poem, Ode to Joy. Well, it had just never been done before, as far as I know. It was a brand new idea. And also the length and the weight and the difficulty was stunning to everybody, starting with the people in the orchestra and the chorus. And it was also setting a poem that everybody knew, and I really don't know how he got away with setting the ode to joy, because everybody knew that poem. Everybody knew it was associated with the revolutionary 1780s. And Vienna at this point was an absolute police state, so it was um, something that probably only Beethoven could have gotten away with. Tell us what the poem is about. It was about exaltation of joy in the Enlightenment. The joy in this symphony is the same as what Thomas Jefferson wrote, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what that meant is that people lived for their own fulfillment. The prerequisite of joy and happiness in life is freedom. And Beethoven earlier in his heroic phase looked like many Germans as as freedom as something that comes from good princes and heroes. He didn't believe that anymore, and all the heroes were gone. So now he believed that among brothers and sisters and husbands and wives, that's what the poem is about, and Beethoven believed this uh, to his heart, that's what is going to bring Elysium to humanity which might say something about why the message still resonates with us today, centuries later. It absolutely does. The Ninth Symphony, I think, was meant to be a great ceremonial work that almost transcends the concert hall, and it's there to keep the dream of freedom alive. And the position it has in the world today of something that is sung at great ceremonies and historic moments, I think is exactly what this piece was meant to do. Give us your thoughts on just how Beethoven's Ninth forever changed the genre of the symphony. The Ninth is part of the game-changer of Beethoven's symphonies, but really starting with the Eroica, Beethoven laid out what was going to become the history of the symphony in the entire 19th century and into the 20th century. It partly played into and partly helped create late romantic giganticism, the kind of ambition composers like Wagner had to take Beethoven and carry it further. And you hear absolute echoes of the ninth musically in the beginning of a couple or three Mahler symphonies and almost every Bruckner symphony. And it went on into the 20th century, its influence uh, with people like 
uh, Sibelius and even Charles Ives in his own way. Jan Swafford, we have reached the end of our fascinating in-depth exploration of Beethoven's symphonies. It has been quite a journey, as you described when we first started our conversation nine symphonies ago. Beethoven wrote three huge journeys in particular media. One were his piano sonatas, another were his string quartets, and the other were his symphonies. And in these pieces, he seemed to probe in his time everything that these kind of pieces could do, everything a symphony could be, everything a piano sonata could be, redefining what they could be in every piece, and uh, probing emotions from despair to joy and everything in between. They were extraordinary journeys, and they were also journeys of growth technically and spiritually and stylistically that went through his whole life. Jan Swafford, I want to thank you so much for going on this journey with us through the life, through the music, through the times of Beethoven with the Beethoven 9 and 9 here on CPR Classical. Well, it's been a great journey for me, and it's been terrific working with you, and I've enjoyed it immensely, Monica. Thank you for listening to the Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast from Colorado Public Radio. If you'd like to hear all nine episodes, you can subscribe to the full series in the iTunes store or at cprclassical.org online. Beethoven's Nine Symphonies make up just part of the full breadth of music 24-7 on Colorado Public Radio's classical service. We're in Denver on the radio dial at 88.1 FM and in Boulder at 99.9 FM with frequencies around the state. Find all of them online at cprclassical.org where you can stream our service throughout the day. That's also where you'll find some of the best recordings available of the Ninth and all of Beethoven's symphonies. Watch video performances and read more about them, again, at cprclassical.org. Huge thanks to Jan Swafford for joining us for the Beethoven 9 at 9. His biography is titled Beethoven, Anguish and Triumph. Thanks also to audio producer Gene Inaba and to our digital editor Brad Turner for making this podcast possible. I'm Monica Vischer, host and executive producer of the Beethoven 9 at 9, only from Colorado Public Radio.